invite you to take out your uh, copies of God's Word now. Uh, In recent weeks, we have been in the book of Revelation. Today, we're going to take a break from that series in Revelation and turn to a single verse. It's Psalm 84 and verse 10. This is a special day, as has been mentioned in the life of our congregation, with uh, the ordination and installation of an additional deacon and of an additional elder uh, to our uh, church body uh, today. And so I wanted to preach on a theme that was appropriate for that, but something which applies uh, to our entire life together as the people of God. So again, just a single verse today, Psalm 84 and verse 10. I'm going to actually read the uh, inspired uh, superscription to this psalm. And then we will read just verse 10. Uh, To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. This ends us reading in God's Word. Let's look again to the Lord in prayer. Lord, our uh, God and Heavenly Father, uh, we ask now that this, Your Word, would be opened to us this morning. That it would be applied with power, nothing less than the power of the Holy Spirit to our lives. And, O oh Lord, that we would indeed see the goodness of a life lived serving you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. On this uh, very important day in the life of our uh, congregation, there are many, many different things that I could have chosen to preach on. I could have preached on uh, the ministry of the Ascended Christ, for it is none other than the Ascended Christ Himself who, in giving us an additional elder and deacon, is giving a good gift to his church. I could have preached on that, uh, but I have not. We could have preached as well on the duties and responsibilities of elders and deacons. The job description uh, for these uh, positions are found in the Word of God. It is God himself who has given us these offices Uh, That also would have been a very appropriate topic to preach on this morning, but we've chosen not to go that direction either. Another thing that I could have preached on was the responsibilities of the church toward their elders and deacons. A big part of their faithful ministry and successful ministry to us is the way that we respond to them, uh, submitting to their care, and praying for them as they uh, go about uh, their task. I could have preached on our duties towards our elders and deacons, but I've also chosen not to preach on that. Instead, we have gone a different direction, and it is this. What I am preaching on this morning is on, uh, on the sheer joy that there is in serving Jesus Christ and serving Christ's church. That's the theme today. It's the sheer joy that there is 
in serving Jesus Christ and in serving His church. And Joe and Chris in particular, I want you at the very outset of your ministry among us here, I want you to recognize with a certain freshness that serving Jesus Christ in this way is the best life that there is. That there is no life so wonderful as that of serving Jesus Christ. And it's important that we recognize that because you and your ministries will experience hardship. You will experience weariness. You will experience the temptation to being cynical or to being resentful. There will be times that you will be tempted to give up. And indeed, what is true for elders and deacons is true for all of us in the various ways that we serve Jesus Christ in His church. Each one of you have been called to serve Jesus Christ in a whole variety of ways. Some of you do it as Sunday school teachers or nursery workers. Some of you will be doing it in involvement with an ESL ministry out of this church. Others of you, as you visit an elderly church member or give a ride to somebody in need, or as you pray for this flock, or as you uh, uh, do things as simple as making a meal for a fellowship meal in this congregation. And Frank, or as you serve on one of the church committees, or I could go on and on with the various ways uh, that we are called to serve the Lord uh, Jesus uh, Christ. And what I want to say to you today is that in such service, however difficult and wearying at times it may be, this is a joyful and good life. And to make this point today, we are indeed going uh, to Psalm 84. <clears throat> I want you to notice that superscription that I uh, read earlier. It says there that this is a psalm of the sons of Korah. Uh, that means that it was a psalm either especially for those sons of Korah, or more likely it was a psalm that was written by uh, the sons of Korah. Now at this point you might ask, well, who are the sons of of Korah. Well, these were the descendants of Levi. Levi, you may recall, had three sons, Gershon, Merari, and Kohath. Each of those three sons and their descendants were given particular duties within the tabernacle and then eventually the temple. Uh, they were uh, workers for the Lord in that way. Now, Korah was one of the descendants of Kohath. Now, Korah, in the Scriptures, is actually most well-known for his rebellion. His rebellion against Moses' leadership. He was swallowed up by the earth in an act of judgment, the judgment of Almighty God. Nonetheless, though he had rebelled in that way, his descendants found grace in the eyes of the Lord and were still used in the service of the temple. Uh, these sons of Korah became a choral and orchestral leaders uh, in the temple worship, offering music in the worship of God. But the sons of Korah also had another role within the temple, and that is that they were doorkeepers, or what we might say custodians, of the temple. Every day they did 
so to speak, janitorial service within the temple of Almighty God. Well, in this particular psalm, uh, these sons of Korah, as it were, combine their two gifts. They write music here, celebrating the goodness of being a doorkeeper within the temple. Verses 1 and 2, how lovely they begin. Is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. They are writing here of the joy of doorkeeping within the temple of Almighty God. And they are very helpful to us as we ask that question. Why is it that service to Jesus Christ and His church is the best life that there is? Let's look to them for instruction out of verse 10. And what we're going to see is really three different reasons here why service to Christ and His church is indeed the best life that there is. And the first of those reasons is It is because your service is done in the presence of God. Secondly, because your service for Christ matters for eternity. Third, because your service is a thank offering to the God who saved you. There's three reasons why indeed this service to Christ is the best life that there is. It is because your service is done in the presence of God because your service for Christ matters for eternity, and because your service is a thank offering to the God who saved you. Let's look at each of those out of verse 10 of our text today. The first of those is because your service is done in the presence of God. Why did these sons of Korah love serving in the temple? Why was it their delight Well, it was because in the temple, that was the place where God was. Now, uh, they weren't ignorant. They knew that God was everywhere, that he's omnipresent. I mean, even as Solomon himself prayed uh, when the temple was dedicated, that uh, heaven and the highest of heavens cannot contain you, O God, even less this house that has been built. Okay, so God is omnipresent, and yet... The Old Testament reveals that the temple was still the place of what we might call God's special presence. It was there that he especially manifested his holiness and grace among his people. At the temple, sacrifices were made for atonement. At the temple, the Lord's name uh, was worshipped. So the temple was especially the place associated with the presence of Almighty God. Well, you and I don't have a temple like that in Jerusalem today. But rather, the Bible says that each redeemed Christian is actually the temple of God. Jesus himself says, abide in me and I in you, John chapter 15. Uh, Similarly, the scriptures say that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit within us, 1 Corinthians 6.19. And so we as individual Christians are the dwelling place of Almighty God. And we need, to set, we need to cultivate, as it were, a sense of communion and fellowship and uh, a sense of His presence within us. God dwells with us. Our lives are to be lived for Him. 
He is our God. The world doesn't have that. Uh, the, the sons of Korah here uh, speak about uh, that while a day in uh, the Lord's courts is better than a thousand elsewhere, he would rather be a doorkeeper of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. He looks out into the world around him and he sees a world that is living a life apart from God where sinners are unreconciled to God. They live without God in their thoughts. They have no regard for God's worship, or for God's day, or for God's honor, or for God's law. And that continues to be the world around us, dear friends. And yet for the Christian, we have God, the presence of the living God with us. I simply ask you, dear Christian, do you recognize that you once were one of those who dwelt in the tents of wickedness as an unconverted sinner? But if you have come to, uh, in faith to Jesus Christ, that now your very being is the temple of the living God. What an honor it is to have God Himself dwelling with us, the presence of God in us. But if each, if each redeemed saint is, in that sense, the temple of God, then it's important that we recognize as well that the gathering of those redeemed saints, namely the church, is also the temple of the living God. Who are we but the gathering of those who have God dwelling, abiding in us? And so this is why in 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul can call the church the church, the household of God. The church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And in Ephesians 2.22, the church is, quote, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And I want to say to you, Joe and Chris in particular, but really to all of you as well, the one thing or one of the chief things that will keep you going in ministry is to remember that the church of Christ is not a mere human institution, but rather it is the place where God Himself dwells and where God makes Himself known. Like the tabernacle of the Old Testament, the church sometimes looks unspectacular from the outside. We look like a rather ordinary, a diverse, not especially talented group of people. There's nothing sparkly about us from the outside. But dear friends, like that tabernacle of old, when you go inside, you find there, amongst these people, dwell the living God Himself. And one of the key things, one of the keys to ministry is to realize in the simple aspects of the life of the ordinary church that God Himself is at work. That when the Word is preached, it is God Himself who is speaking His Word to us. That when people uh, come to place their faith in Jesus Christ in the pews of this church, it is a supernatural, God-wrought change that is happening in them as they're brought from death to life. It is to believe that God is creating a fellowship among us that is 
extraordinary and supernatural, that God is using ordinary people like us for the extension of His kingdom, and that this church, along with other gospel-preaching churches, are part of that kingdom that is never, ever going to pass away. And friends, to, to keep on keeping on, as it were, in the Christian life, we need to believe that about the church. That is the truth about the church of uh, the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Do you see the Lord Jesus Christ in the ministry of the church? Do you love the church and want to serve the church? Because Christ himself is there. In just a few weeks, um, my three boys are going to be uh, standard bearers in the U.S. Open golf tournament. Which I think is actually kind of cool as a golfer. Uh, they're going to get to walk inside the ropes and carry a little uh, scoreboard, and they're going to be assigned to a group. They may be assigned to Tiger Woods or to Jordan Spieth or Justin Thomas or somebody like that and get to walk around the course inside the ropes uh, with them. Uh, they are going, uh, 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 so they're going to get to do that. Now, there's a lot of other volunteers as well at the U.S. Open. Uh, and not the standard bearers, my children didn't have to do this, but any adult volunteer at the U.S. Open actually has to pay $250 in order to volunteer. Now, some of you here are sitting there and saying, that's sheer insanity. Uh, for a golfer like me, I say it all makes perfect sense. You know, it's... <laughs> but my point is this. People consider it a huge honor to get to serve. They consider it a privilege in order to serve in the presence of great golfers. They're willing to pay a lot of money to get to walk and serve close to great golfers. Dear friends, you and I have a privilege that is much, much greater than that. You and I get to serve in the place where the living God dwells. We get to live and to serve in the place where the God of the universe makes himself known. And that's the highest privilege of all. And it's ours freely by his grace. We don't have to pay any money to do it. It's ours freely by his grace that you and I get to do that. And so, why is the life of service to Christ the best life that there is? Well, that first reason is it is because our service is done in the presence of God. Secondly, now, this... The second reason is because your service for Christ matters for eternity. Uh, your service for Christ matters for eternity. Look with me again at verse 10. There it says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Now, there's not even an indicator after a thousand what that is. It's probably a thousand days, but it even could be a thousand months, a thousand years elsewhere, and that would still ring true. He is saying here that to serve within the temple, even for a day, is better than a thousand somewhere else. And you and I, Know what he's saying here. You know how it is. When you really desire something, uh, you might say, oh, I would do anything for just, for just a day. For a day of a happy marriage. For a day of 
You might even say, just one more day with my, my deceased parent. Or on a lighter note, you might say, for one day of uh, getting to fly first class to Venice and eat Italian food on the canals there in, in Venice or something. I'd do anything just for a day of that. One day would be better than a thousand uh, somewhere else. Well, indeed, that's kind of what these sons of Korah are saying here. That to live and serve in the presence of God is so great. Oh, I would take just one day there. Oh, that's better than a thousand lived anywhere else. What a wonderful statement that is. Do you believe that? But let me tell you, it gets much better than this. Because if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, you never get merely a day, one day, to serve Him. We don't have just one day in the courts of our God. Do you remember how David concluded Psalm 23? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's how. So to be a Christian means that you are a Christian both now and forevermore. That you possess eternal life now with God. We live with Him now in this world serving Him. And we're going to live with Him in the New heavens and new earth forever. That today is, as it were, just the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of our service to God. We have an eternity with God that yet awaits. That's the day that is still ours. We we sing in the hymn, uh, Jordan Stormy Banks, or all those wide extended plains shines one eternal day. Their God the Son forever reigns and scatters night away. And so one day in His courts is better than a thousand elsewhere, but it's never just for you and me just one day. It's one eternal day, one endless day in the courts of our God. And friends, this is part of what makes our Christian service so wonderful. It is a service that lasts for eternity. It's a service that counts for eternity. I, I love the verse that is found at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is that uh, glorious resurrection chapter of uh, the New Testament that tells us all the difference that Jesus Christ's resurrection makes and how you and I are going to rise at Christ's second coming with bodies that are like His And we are going to defeat death forever as we have bodies that are incorruptible forever and ever. But then 1 Corinthians 15 ends with making this statement about the difference that this makes in our lives now. It says, therefore, on the basis of this resurrection hope, of the fact that you have an eternity with God that yet awaits, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why should we do that? Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Because this eternity yet awaits, the labor that you give this day, this moment for Jesus Christ, is never ever in vain. Even the most menial of tasks done for Jesus Christ, is something that counts forever and ever. Isn't that a wonderful thing? 
You know, I think of it in the life of our own of our own church. Some of you this past week have been cleaning the manse so that the Sosas can move in uh, in just a little over a week, and that they can have ten weeks among us this summer. Well, you clean the manse so that the Sosas can be here. And so that Ricardo can train to be a gospel minister and experience the love of this fellowship and take the things that he is learning here with him when he graduates seminary to go to Brazil and to become a pastor there and to be a minister of the New Covenant. And under Ricardo's ministry, I trust, some people are going to come from death to life into the kingdom of God and experience new life in Jesus Christ. And do you get the connection that we've just made because you clean the man's? there are going to be some people that are going to be brought into the kingdom of God. That's a labor that counts for eternity. And Chris and Joe, I can say the same thing to you guys. As you begin your uh, service here, uh, Chris, it might be as simple as, as something the deacons meeting and trying to figure out how to meet the needs of somebody who's in need in our church and what kind of deacons fund disbursement should be made to help them and By doing that simple action, you are showing someone the love of Christ from this, uh, you're showing them uh, the love of this flock, which is a reflection of the love of Christ. And that gives that individual even a deeper apprehension of Christ's love and compassion and deepens their praise and their adoration of God as a result. You see, your simple act of service resulting in everlasting fruit. Same with you, Joe. Uh, Joe, uh, perhaps one of the tasks that you're going to do as an elder is to occasionally lead us in uh, worship or to teach a class. And you're going to spend time preparing. And it's not easy uh, to lead uh, the congregation in uh, prayer. But as you make all of those preparations and you come uh, behind this pulpit and you lead us in prayer or in the worship of God, that is worship which God Himself hears. That's worship that we enter into with the angels who are in uh, heaven above. And it is through this worship even that the praise of Jesus Christ is being extended through other... That's eternal fruit. That's eternal fruit. That's stuff that matters for eternity. And so it is with every act, however menial, of Christian service that we do. It catches the eye of our sovereign King and Master. Do you remember what he said? That the one who even gives a cup of cold water in his name. You think, could there be any task more menial than that? Giving a cup of cold water to one who's in need because we want to show the love of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, even that one will not, well, surely they will not lose their reward. Jesus notices because it counts for eternity. And this is why you and I should keep going on in Christian service. That's why you need to serve the Savior because it matters, not just now, but forevermore. And I ask you, at the end of your life, what are the things that you're going to have regrets about? I can tell you, you will never have a regret saying, oh, I served Jesus too much. Your regret will be, oh, why didn't I serve him anymore? There was a famous cricket player, uh, I don't remember, 100 years ago or 130 years ago in England, uh, named C.T. Studd. Uh, He gave his life to the Lord's cause. 
He ended up going to China as a missionary. He served alongside of Hudson Taylor in the work of the China Inland Mission. Uh, he wrote a wonderful poem. I think I quoted uh, just the refrain a few weeks ago, but I want to read more of the poem uh, today. It's called, Only One Life Twill Soon Be Passed. He says, Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn. And from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. Might we serve God, might we realize that the life of service to Christ is the good life because our service to Christ matters for eternity. Third and finally, I want us to see that this is the good life because your service is a thank offering to the God who saved you. Your service to Jesus Christ is a thank offering to the God who saved you. Look with me again at verse 10. There in verse 10 it says these words, uh, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of and here it is, my God, then dwell in the tents of wickedness. That little word, my, is one of the blessed possessive pronouns that the Psalms are absolutely full of. You notice he doesn't just call him God, but rather he is my God. And friends, our service, you, dear friends, you are a doorkeeper in the house of your God. And behind that simple possessive pronoun of my lies really the whole gospel of God's sovereign grace. How does this God become my God? Well, He becomes my God because of His sovereign grace in, in my life. That's how. It was that He, while I was still a sinner, Christ came and died 
for me that while I was dead in my sin and transgression, He made me alive together with uh, Jesus Christ. The work is His by sovereign grace alone. Salvation is 100% of the Lord. None of it is mine. He has done it all. Salvation is of Him entirely. That is how He is my God. And so I serve Him in response to His sovereign grace for me. And Joe and Chris, can I tell you that when you are tempted to become weary in Christ's service, when you are tired of menial tasks or long meetings or unjust criticism, when service becomes hard in the church of Jesus Christ, the best thing that I can tell you is this. Remember that you are serving the one who gave everything to you. Remember the Gospel. And always keep that order there. That what you do for Him is always, always, always in response to the much greater work that He has first of all done for you. And that's what keeps us serving. It is because He has done so much for me. I mean, just think of it this way. Think of it this way. Sometimes, as you're in your role as an elder or deacon, you're going to have to humble yourself uh, to serve other people. At times, perhaps, do tasks that feel below you. Well, at times like that, remember that you serve a Savior who, before you did, took the lowest place. Who left heaven's glory and was born in a stable manger and did so for your salvation. If He humbled Himself, I can humble myself. Well, perhaps at times you're going to have to spend long hours in meetings. Long hours where you could be doing lots of other things. Long hours in the meetings for the church of Jesus Christ. Will you serve a Savior who spent long hours in prayer for you? Who labored long at the place of prayer in the presence of His heavenly Father? Who devoted hours giving to His disciples? We have a Savior who has done that before us. At times you're going to face criticism. And criticism at times, it doesn't feel just or fair. And you're going to want to throw up your hands. Why am I doing this if this is the kind of response that we get? Well, dear friends, we serve a Savior who faced the ridicule and who faced the threats of His countrymen and ultimately faced an unjust death on a Roman cross. And He went all the way there. And that that did not deter Him from accomplishing our salvation. Look what He endured for our sake, can we not also endure a little bit for Him? Will you spend uh, hours counseling, investing in other people? And at times without much uh, thanks for the task of investing in other people. Well, remember that Jesus, Jesus was one who also took time to speak. Think of that Samaritan woman at the well. He noticed her and spent time with her. Again, we are not being asked to do anything which our Savior did not first do 
for us. And so in serving the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the highest privilege of walking in the way of our Master and serving Him. Of answering His grace to us with the response of thanksgiving back to Him. Friends, this is why it is such a joy to be a doorkeeper in the house of our God. That there is no better life. And Joe and Chris, especially at the outset of your ministry, can I encourage you to remember these things. Others who are elders and deacons, some of you having served a long time, might you be refreshed by hearing these things. But again, all of you, because all of us are called to service of various kinds within the kingdom of Christ, can I tell you, let's keep going. And more than keep going, let's do it with greater fervency, greater zeal, greater love. Because what we do, we do in the presence of God. What we do matters for eternity. And what we do is in response to His amazing grace to us. Let's pray together. Lord, our God and Heavenly Father, how we do bless You and thank You for the extraordinary privilege of serving the church of Jesus Christ in this way. Lord, we thank You that You have called us into Your kingdom and You have called us to gospel service. And Lord, we pray that we would uh, look at our own lives and if there are ways, Lord, and the ways in which we have failed to serve You, in the ways which we are leaving things undone that ought to be done, ways in which we have kept the ministry of the church at an arm's length from us, Lord, convict us of these things. And Lord, might it be that we would be thrown into your service, remembering indeed that we have but one life to live. Lord, our God, for those that are weary, those that are tired in this task, O oh Lord, encourage them and strengthen them keep going in service to the King of Kings. And Lord, do bless Joe and Chris both as we uh, move ahead now to this uh, ordination and installation of them uh, in, in our church. Lord, we pray that you would bless this service for the glory of your name.